This episode of Unorthodox is likely to contain some offensive language, which is not safe for work or young people or anyone with a delicate sensibility. Listen at your own risk and go with God. What name do you think Barney Frank checks into a hotel? (laughs) Frank Barney. Hello, Jews, and all who are still shell-shocked from last week. You've climbed out from your bunkers and popped in your earbuds. This is Unorthodox, a weekly podcast from Tablet Magazine. I am Mark Oppenheimer, joined as ever by senior writer Liel Leibowitz. This is my fight song. Too soon, way too soon. And Tablet deputy editor Stephanie Butnick. What's up? We're just huddling here in the warmth of Argo Studios taking stock. Uh, The news of the Jews is... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we lost jokes on us an election jokes on us and grandpa al um i want to say something before we go into full safe space uh group hug mode which is probably a few of you i mean we've had uh, hundreds of thousands of downloads of this show and probably a few of you voted for trump and uh, i would love to hear from you i mean let me just say out, out from the front i've never gotten a pro trump uh email i've gotten all sorts of other political emails uh, on Israel, everything from the farthest right to the farthest left on American domestic policy. Again, same thing. And that's been very gratifying, but I've never gotten the pro-Trump email in the past six months or a year. So uh, unorthodox at tabletmag.com. Um, you want to hear your voice on our airwaves, uh, send it as a, a voice memo or a voice text. Um, ladies and gents, uh, <laughs> what the fuck happened? Is I believe the question you want to ask. Um, I'll start. Let me. So let me start with my feelings. This is the, this is going to be a big sharing. This is like um, this, this is, is circle like our, time. Our, a drum circle. That's yeah. right. Like at like it's actually our outlawed now. <laughs> that's, Steve Bannon hates drum circles. Um, as at my daughter's preschool, uh, you, you begin in the morning with circle time. We'll skip the song, but we'll go straight to the to the sharing with our friends. Um, what I'm dealing with right now, we can each talk about what we're dealing with. What I'm dealing with is. That sort of um, well, I'm dealing with the fact that half the people I follow on Facebook say that we have to prepare for the Fourth Reich, and that we're foolish if we don't if we don't buy Canadian real estate now. One of the people who believes this, actually, she's not even on my Facebook feed; she's in my bed and my kitchen. Is my wife Sid, who that's, that's just, so that's sexist? Awful. Bed and kitchen. That's like Trump's America. I was just thinking, speaking. where do I? I was to say, you've like, already internalized she the go message. Else. That was horrible. What I meant was like, of course, like the woman whom I share my life with, and I was thinking, where do I see her? We we hang on our kitchen all day. No have, one respects women more than you. Yeah. Mark. <laughs> that was horrible. You guys have been to my house, right? We essentially have one large room downstairs, and it's you the know. kitchen slash dining room slash everything. Too late. Slash oh, your bedroom. God. But you're still a misogynist oh, asshole. God, I'm such a misogynist. Sometimes she goes to work. Work. Sometimes she uses her Yale law degree. God, now I'm part of the elitist one percent that lost us the election. To this show. She doesn't. She'll never know this. <laughs> uh, she really will. She'll never know this. Her blissful ignorance. But she did say that I could talk about the fact that she's really terrified and that. Um, that it's been an issue. I will say it's been an issue in our marriage. Like the past uh, week, she has been really glum. She she can barely crack a smile. Um, we're just barely, she is, I would say, just barely holding it together to put on a cheery face for the kids who I don't think fully buy it. I think they know that she's upset. Um, one night, the kids said to me, mom's really sad about the election, isn't she? And I, how do they know that? Because kids know things, right? And I explained yes. And um and then I think Sid is somewhat resentful of me because I tend to, to make be... them feel better. You should have said, "No, she's just really upset with you." <laughs> she's just you it's guys not just the election. Been, you guys haven't been the best kids lately, so <laughs> you could, were just baby deplorables. Could you do better for mommy so she doesn't leave us? Um, and I think there's been some resent. I think it's fair to say there's been some tension over the fact that I tend to be, even when I'm upset, I tend to be a rosier 
person. Like I'm chemically You're upbeat. upbeat. I'm upbeat. Also, she pointed out to me when we had a little sort of tiff and a kind of, you know, when we had a tense moment over like, you know, I'm like, being glum doesn't help anything. Like, might as well enjoy it while we can before Armageddon, right? She pointed out, like, the first week of the end of Daylight Savings is always hard for her. She does have some seasonal affective stuff going on. Like, she hates... It's, like, the most depressing time of year. Not for me. I don't mind the dark or the rain. it's, like, been gloomy. It's been gray all week. So she's been in the dark. Um, It's, uh, you know, and the election. And and she's just been incredibly down. And she's saying, like, literally... I mean, I applied... She made me apply for a job in Canada this week. And she's like... Was it Mountie? (laughs) Gonna, I think you'd look good. I'm not going to tell outfit. everyone. Yeah, I, I applied to be a Mountie. They, yeah. they, what they use a 42 year old American Mountie. We're, you're going to do a test, a test run when we're in Toronto. <laughs> so is that gonna where make, we're going? It's going to make the show in two days in Toronto fabulously more interesting. So anyway, um, she, you know, so we had this this kind of this thing where she's saying, "Look, no one thought Hitler was going to do X, Y, and Z either." And I said, "Okay, but there was a six year period where they were slowly, methodically stripping Jews of property and jobs and what." I was like, "Let's wait for one act to worry about, or one bill even being proposed. Let's not flee yet." And, and you know, so half my Facebook feed is on her side, and the other half is saying, "Like, look, the presidency's powerful, but not that powerful, and let's just chill and see what happens." I don't know. Where, where do you guys fall? I mean, I have to say, I was completely shocked. Like when watching those returns come in on Tuesday night, I just lost it because I just thought she's still going to win, but our country is horrible. Right. And then as it got progressively worse, I realized I had not, it had not even occurred to me that he could win. I knew this, I I mean, fundamentally, I get that two people were running for president, but nothing I had been reading, nothing I had been listening to. I think we're all on this feedback loop of what you want to hear. And the the polls. And and all the polls. And science um, and math. (laughs) And truth. um, Right. And facts. Right. But- I think the next day, I mean, the New York City, it was like a shiva, like a citywide shiva. Everyone on the subways looked like zombies who hadn't slept and like their faces were red. And it was just, it's been really, really interesting to be here. I mean, I have to say that the day after Trump was elected was Kristallnacht, the anniversary, which is like- Also my birthday. Oh yeah. So we'll get to that. Oh, by the way, happy birthday. Oh, thank you. Thanks um, America for your gift. Are you 40? Was this 40? Uh, this 41? is 40. 40. America, next time, if you want to give me a birthday gift, just send the burning cross direct by mail. I like don't even think I said happy birthday to you because I was- I know. You're exactly one day older than Sid. She turned 40 on the 10th. Congratulations. So the day- Trump was elected. Was Kristallnacht that was, and as our producer Alyssa said, a little on the nose history. Um, <laughs> but so I tweeted an article from Tablet a few years ago about you know like the bystander and blah blah blah. Like it was actually about like, the legal status of the bystander. And I tweeted you know, and I don't typically tweet like political stuff. Like I tweet like this podcast basically and like stuff about Drake and my cat, the, the um, important stuff. And I tweeted you know on on Kristallnacht on the anniversary of Kristallnacht, an anniversary. I mean, sorry, a, a reminder that like. It was a quote from the piece that, like, you know, the dangers of staying silent in the face of uh, radicalism. And I got my first ever anti-Semitic Twitter response. Mazel Mazel And it was like, oh, of course. Like, of course this happens What was it? What was it? It was just someone writing back being like, all those secret deals you guys did, like, couldn't couldn't stop this or something like that. And, like, all the scheming. And then it was three successive tweets that didn't really make any sense. And it was like, maybe you, you didn't. And I was like, you didn't. You like, did. what? And then it was like, you, you didn't should make, quote, Aliyah. And I was like. <laughs> He's well, using three languages yeah, in one Yeah, and I was tweet. just like, what are you saying? And it, it, it felt really intense. Like, I, I know, obviously, it's on it some ways. It was signed Shlomo Cohen, to be yeah. fair. It, it, on the one hand, it's like a rite of passage, right, as right. a Jewish journalist. I've had one. On the other hand, like, it was just, it, 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 it added to my sort of despondency. Like, this day, I mean, it was just such a dark day. And I think everyone was sort of in a state of shock. Um. But what's troubling me is like all these 
racist, um, Islamophobic incidents, like these, 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 this rash of things that are happening. And it's, it is happening to Jews to some extent, but I think like what I want us to take away from this is like, we're not like, we're in a position of real privilege right now as Jews in America. And I think, right. They're going to come for us third after the Mexicans and and the Muslims. What happens now is, is on us, right? Like, are we like we talk so much about silent bystanders. By the way, like, historically, that's a huge step in the right direction. Exactly. Yeah, no, we're great. Like we've we're, gone from first online to, to third, third to third. But I think it's really scary to be a, a Muslim person, or a, you know, visibly religious. I, I wrote this piece this week, you know, out of sheer age that I you know, sort of best encapsulates how I feel. Uh, it was about my grandfather, uh, and I think historical analogies are really fucking dumb. And I think this one in particular is reprehensible but i'm not bringing this up as as a historical analogy i'm bringing it up as a kind of uh, you know invocation of eternal moral principles um so grandpa siegfried was educated in vienna it's your mom's dad uh, my mother's father he was educated he was born in the carpathian somewhere moved to vienna he was a very uh, talented um violin player and composer studied in this conservatory uh, that was pretty good and then you know kind of was like second tier uh intellectual uh, you know, young up and comer in, in Vienna in the 30s, and same crowds as Stefan Zweig and all, all these cats. Uh, and uh, end Deco- of 1934, yeah, all these 19, cats. 1934, he was like, I'm out. Siegfried out. Siegfried out. And his friends were like, Are, are, you, are you insane? You know, yeah, okay, well, these goons are, are goose stepping, but man, this is Austria. Like, really? Well, what do you think is going to happen? The most cultivated city in the world. And, and, and he was like, You know what? I'm a simple Jew. I take haters at their word. I take every poison word as a promise, and I believe these guys. I'm going to Palestine. Um, now, it doesn't matter if this is the Fourth Reich or not. Uh, it doesn't matter if there are going to be a thousand more incidents of, of racial violence or not. I mean, obviously, it does matter, but I'm saying right now, uh, we have a very different order. And our order is to believe the haters, uh, to refuse to normalize this for one fucking moment. To refuse to accept any of this as okay, simply because this is not who we are. This is not who we are. We are better than this. What does that mean to to refuse to normalize it? That means that if you start playing the game of, oh, wow, Rens Priebus is okay, but Steve Bannon is bad, it's all bad. The fact that this administration is able to even, you know, uh, begin its way, the fact that n- a candidate who's called for registering Americans, and here I am the conservative saying this, right, uh, called to registering Americans based on their religion is allowed anywhere near the White House, that someone who's advocating violence uh, against, you know, all sorts of minorities and all kinds of deplorable act, this is absolutely uh, inconceivable, and this is not something that we should ever morally put up with. This is a moral crisis, not a political one. And I think last week is a little bit like, oh, it might not be so bad. And I think that's sort of the normalization. Like, you know, like, oh, he'll surround himself with smart people. And then this week, I think, is actually, how bad is it going to be? Man, he could basically? surround himself with, this is what I'm saying, he could surround himself with the smartest people, he could bring peace to the Middle East, he could revive the economy, he could force Kyle Hendricks to leave the Cubs and go to the Mets. I don't care. A man like this does not belong in the Oval Office. Point, end Punkt. of story. Punkt. Yeah. That's so it. this goes to your, you know, one of the things that you've been saying is, don't normalize the 50 million, whatever it was, more than that, Americans no. who voted for Sorry. him. Sorry. They are. You've said they are deplorable. Sorry, toddlers. 
But if 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 your line of argument is we feel very disres- we feel very disrespected by the condescending That's elites. Offensive. And so what what we're going to do now, we're going to take the ass clown, uh, put him in the White House so you will hear us. Really? <laughs> kind of prove the point of why everyone's been fucking condescending to you, you children. If you vote for Trump, I am so sorry. And again, as a conservative from the depths of my conservative soul, uh, you know, from the heart of my NRA card carrying member, Likud supporting, BB loving, settlement endorsing self, I say this <laughs> is never morally okay. If you could look at a candidate who said that every Muslim American should register for no other reason but holding a religious belief, you are a deplorable human being. You may have reasons. They may be good. Some of them may be perfectly reasonable. I still don't care. Maybe you'll shake off your deplorability. I suppose some of Trump's voters could uh, come to their senses and, and, and join the rest of us normal folk. And this has nothing to do with political beliefs or, or uh, coastal versus heartland. I feel this is across the board. But you know what? I feel that there is a, a substantial fucking portion of Americans out there who really are kind of, you know, I'm sorry, beyond, beyond redemption. But I think... What's troubling to me, like, yes, I understand that this was this illuminated a problem that we don't understand part of our, you know, a big part of this country. And we sort of assume that they would act a certain way. And I, and I think that I don't think they're all deplorables. I think that they their vote basically said that they didn't actually really that his Care racist and xenophobic beliefs didn't stop them from I, but, voting for her, for him, which is, you know, a, another thing entirely. But I think what is upsetting me more is. You know, sort of like what my grandpa was talking about. And I have to say, like, I haven't even called my grandparents because I'm just so that to me is when it's all when it really will be real. And this is like the longest we've gone without talking. But, you know, comfortable Jews who voted for Trump and who don't want their taxes to go. Well, up. And that to me is so disturbing. And like, oh. I was gonna, I was going to say that, that make that exact point. I'm so glad you said that, like that, you know, what's deplorable. This is not it. I don't find this to be unusual deplorableness. I mean, it's it's the, the result is worse than than usual deplorableness, but it's the deplorableness of voting self-interest. It's the deplorableness of deciding that elections are about you. I mean, see I, that I could live with. I, that yeah, I have no well, problem with. I mean, the forty-four percent of Republicans who still believe that President Obama was born in Kenya—that's when I was like, you know what? I'm sorry. You know, everyone has their blind spots. It's tragic that for a lot of people, their blind spots are democracy and the future of the world. <laughs> Lulz. You know, that is an extraordinary number of people. Right, but in a sense, Mark, this is this is also why this kind of uh, uh, self-berating tendency of, of, of so many of our friends and colleagues to be like, we should really take more time to no, understand no, no. these people. You know what? Maybe they should take more time, time to, to understand under- climate ab- science, okay? Yeah, yeah. When they fucking understand global warming, I will take the trouble to understand what the fuck's wrong with Ohio. Telling me I got to beware. I think it's time we stop, children. What's that sound? Everybody, look what's going down. Can we talk about can we talk about Steve Bannon? Because that to me is real scary. Because yeah. that's the normalization. That's but Newt Gingrich said he must love Jews because he worked in Hollywood. <laughs> like. First of all, Newt Gingrich, like, shut your face. Yeah. Why Newt are you Gingrich back on, on your scene? third marriage without getting your first one and all? You quoting, big, big quoting, creep. Quoting the great Jamie Kerchick from last week's episode, you fat pig, shut the fuck <laughs> up. I mean, I just, this whole, I think the Steve Bannon thing is frightening. And then this idea that, like, the Kushners are there and they're going to save us. It's yeah. like, the Kushners are, I mean, Ivanka and Jared are looking out for themselves. Right. The Jewish survival in America has come down to, like, the fact that the Jared Kushners, Kushner. the Jared Kushner has, <laughs> he couldn't even save the New York Observer. Help How's us. he going to save Jewry? Um, 
look, I agree with what you're saying, Liel, about you don't make excuses for people. At the same time, uh, I'm a liberal Democrat who wants to win elections. And I do think that there is a difference between making excuses and trying to understand what's going on. And I think that, um, you know, I've gotten attacked by some people for saying, let's understand why some people thought that despite all the evidence, the contrary, that Trump was a better option. Let's understand that. Well, because they not didn't make excuses. No, it's not making excuses, but, but they didn't care about we the gotta evidence. Because we got to win. Because, uh, you know, the, the institutions that. Well, so what way forward is that? And, and so what do you want to do you, to figure you know, out the way forward? They, they, didn't, they didn't care because the institutions that whose job it is to cement and convey these facts, by which I, I mean, you know, media, political parties, unions, ac- ac- unions academia, etc., have all collapsed. So. The path forward, I think, is is to work with these huge swaths of Americans of all race, sizes, shapes, creeds, and political Species. beliefs uh, to to create a sort of sane uh, kind of classical liberalism that is predicated on uh, a host of ideas that have you know always carried this this nation forth. But first and foremost, on on the radical insistence that we are better than this and that we should never ever succumb to an administration that uses the rankest of racist and white nationalist terms to be anywhere near power. Well, we here, have 11 million people who did. How many people didn't come out and vote for right. Clinton? Millions and millions, millions and millions and millions. And millions. Right. Trump got fewer votes than Romney or McCain. There we right? have it. But but that's the path. But more Twitter forward. followers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Look, ultimately, I'm not. I, also, I, by the way, social media huge problem. Sorry, Stephanie, but, but what are you looking at me? It's gonna have to go. I, I don't. I don't like social media. So you're just literally like young. Are you young going, shaming me? I'm right young now? shaming because Instagram is going to have to go. Yeah. Why? We can keep Instagram and Say Snapchat. More about that. Well, Twitter you know, is the problem. Be, Twitter is the problem. Can we talk? They're can we talk problems. before we we end? Uh, before we end this little um, sesh sesh about. Um, how are things going with your friends and family? Like I already said that this was this was tough for me and Sid because we're in different places I, here. I love this. This is like the the not that I love the fact that your marriage is miserable, but I love the the insight into the Oppenheimer household of these. This is like the best HBO show. I would say my marriage had a couple of miserable ever. days. In an otherwise there were there were a couple waves in an otherwise placid sea of Caribbean aqua of a marriage. My friends have been really upset, and I think there are some who it's like the wallowing period. And then there are these calls to say like, don't, don't be depressed, like take action. And I have friends who are ready to take action and other friends who are just not. And I think it's hard to say, you know, like, do you want to say buck the fuck up? Like take act, like wallowing no, is no, not an option. No, because I think why, why can't I wallow? This is like a huge, and you know, Lena Dunham said something in her, in her email oh, newsletter. Never a good start. No, and <laughs> never, it was right. And it was right. Start. She said, look, to be failed by the, by the system for the first time at 30 is like incredibly privileged. And I think that's what a lot of people I know are feeling right now. Lena the Dunham. Really like, needs to shut the hell no, up. no, she doesn't. She's fine. I think she took this whole election thing really hard. I don't know if you saw her Instagram. She was, you know, going more, hard for Hillary. More people voted for Trump just because that <laughs> Lena Dunham oh video. But, but I think that it's the sense of we, you have no control over anything, and I think that's what's scary for millennials. And but look, I think this will this will galvanize millennials. And you know, everyone was so excited about Bernie. They didn't really do much. Like I think now this is sort of when it says, okay. What do you take? Right, what, there, what kind of action do you take? If and I, I think make, that's the challenge for my a generation. Sort of social media universe, and which is like, oh yeah, I'm gonna share this great post that I read on Vox. Like, I, I'm not, yeah. you know, it's looking like, at you, but I'm saying in in general, profile picture to have the H in it. How could she not have won? I literally did that. Yeah, that is so literally politics. Here, I, I I see I see your 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 you know your miseries, and and I I sort of I double you know raise that. us some rage. I, I raise you. 
the fact that you know my friends have the added they have all this going on and then the added disadvantage of where do conservatives go now because we really are <laughs> fucked i mean we have oh, yeah. no place i, I do want to i These i liberals i wanted to get in like yeah i wanted to get in this this point about conservatives i don't i don't know if you'll agree with me or not i i know you won't I do think that the consistent undermining of the so-called mainstream media by conservatives, the, the, the decade, the two decades long project to say nothing you read in the news is true and which starts at the New York Times, but but rots on down in their view. Basically, don't believe anything. The pure relativism of, of news for modern conservatism helped elect Trump. You mean the New York Times whose headline the day after the election was uh, students, immigrants, and uh, foreign nations bemoan Trump's election. Well, look, say what you yeah, say. No, what, no, I'm, say I, what I you will. You think you. you think that the collapse of trust in any mediating media institutions didn't have something to do with it? I think it had a lot to do with it, but I think the collapse of trust wasn't the fault of the people who pointed out that the system was corrupt, but rather of the people who were supposed to create better fucking newspapers who actually did reporting. I mean, the Times and, actually and, does and, tell and people there's climate change. To, to ideas, yeah, but the Times also goes through great lengths, for example, to uh, not report, say, on the full extent of Islamic extremism, which is one thing that, you know, your f- deplorable friends in the heartland pick up on, be like, these people are not attuned I to think, reality. I think this is... Spiraling, spiraling out of control. And I think, look, we have like four years to figure this out, right? Two. Because we got to take yeah. back the Senate and the House, baby. Stephanie, ben we don't thinks he might have... not make it to an inauguration. We don't even have right. a day. We so, have to start right so now. So, final question. We've solved, Stephanie and I have solved the problems for all of our yeah, friends we're on done. The Instagram. I left. just tweeted about it. What, what, where do conservatives go from here, Lyle? To the bar. <laughs> and to, then to drink, for to like drink, a fine whiskey. To drink Jack Daniels. No, not for a fine whiskey, for a fine American whiskey. Uh huh. Well, that's and... the only kind you would get after the tariffs come in. <laughs> <laughs> Say goodbye All to right. Scotch. Nelson Eddy. Hey. We need you, man. Guys, more than ever, our friends in Unorthodox land. I, I we need a name for our tribe. I was listening to Snap Judgment the other day. Unorthodoxy. Glenn Unorthodox. refers to his listeners as snappers. Are our listeners the heretics? No, it has to be like the Unorthodoxin. The Schlemiels. The Schlemiels. The Schlemiels. The Orthodoxons. Anyway, friends. A little international flair. Friends. <laughs> Die Freunde. Uh, no, it's not that. Uh, more than ever, we need your mail. Write to us at unorthodox at tabletmag.com. Also, follow us on iTunes and rate us on iTunes. Say nice things. Subscribe to us. A lot of you just click every week. Subscribe, 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 and rate us, and then send us emails telling us what you think. We'll be right back with Barney Frank. Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y on Tuesday, May 21st. Join us at 7 p.m. for a conversation with cast members from Prayer for the French Republic, the Tony Award-nominated Best Play. Tony nominee Betsy Adam and fellow cast members Francis Benhamou, Ethan Haberfield, and Ari Brand will take part in a lively discussion moderated by the New York Times' Mark Tracy. They'll talk about the play's themes of Jewish identity, French culture, and Zionism in times of rising anti-Semitism. This event is part of 14Y's spring season of Jewish culture. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streetwide.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y.
Hey, J. Crew, it is time for some pod biz. Tonight, May 16th, I will be moderating a Zoom conversation with Rabbi Sharon Brous and Shai Held about each of their new books. That's at 6 p.m. Eastern and the final event in my Unpacking the Book series with the Jewish Book Council and the Jewish Museum. This one's on Zoom, so no matter where you are, I hope you can make it. And tonight is actually a doubleheader for me. If you're in the New York area, I'll be at the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan at 7.30 tonight in conversation with Israeli rapper and singer Jimbo J. He'll be performing and there will be delicious Israeli food from Chef Mushka, who made the famous Horosets at our Passover pop-up. You can find links to register for both of those events at tabletmag.com slash unorthodoxlive. We also have some great events coming up for Tablet members in person and on Zoom. On May 16th, Catherine Wolf will be in conversation with Jews who refuse to back down against hostile crowds in various arenas, from municipal buildings, school board meetings, and of course, college campuses. She'll be talking with Club Z's Masha Merkalova, Safe CUNY's Avraham Goldstein, Attorney John Kovac, Mel Waldorf, Steve Goldberg, and UNC Chapel Hill student Daniel Stumpel. Also coming up, a warm and intimate Zoom for those who have lost friendships since October 7th. That's on May 21st and will be a great chance to connect and meet new people. And on May 30th, an in-person tablet meetup in Washington, D.C., hosted by Tablet's executive editor Wayne Hoffman and Catherine Wolf. That'll be at Char Bar at 6 p.m. You can become a Tablet member at tabletm.ag slash UO member and get more information about all of these events. Okay, back to the show. Hello. Hello, Representative Frank. Yeah. Hi, this is Mark Oppenheimer from Tablet Magazine. How are you? Good. Thanks for agreeing to join us. You're on. Right, with... I'll be right with you. Hang on a second. Go ahead. Um, uh, I got to finish. I got to finish this up. One question has become a lot more. All right. I, I got. I got to run. Yeah. Go ahead. All right. You're on with me and uh, my co-host Leah Leibowitz. Hello. And... And Stephanie Butnick. Hi. Hello. Thanks so much for agreeing to talk with us. You're welcome. Um, so I'm a, a I'm a Massachusetts boy. I grew up in Springfield. So you weren't my congressman, but you know we we admired you from afar. Thank you. Uh, so you're going to explain to us what the fuck happened. What what the fuck happened? Well, I uh, have no particular expertise, but I think it is clear here, as in much of the rest of the world, a lot of people um, have become increasingly angry that the economic progress that has happened in the world uh, has been very unfairly distributed. And in America in particular, that uh, uh, the the gap between people with high skills, uh, levels and technology and education, uh, and and people whose main asset is their willingness to work hard for a living, that that gap is widened. And in particular, and this is something where some of the liberal establishment people had been wrong, uh, President Obama among others, they fail to understand the importance of dealing with the trade impact, both real and psychologically. Uh, it has been clear for a time now, people just start to admit it, that trade helps the overall economy, but it does it in a way that is very unfair to a lot of people. And what you should be doing when you do trade bills is to put in the same bill means of taking some of the increased wealth and sharing it more, more fairly. And, uh, People finally just rebelled against that. So did you see this coming at all? Um, I have for some time been arguing that we are making a mistake on trade and that we should be doing more to alleviate people. Um, I was nervous. I, I, I thought Hillary Clinton was going to win, but I was, uh, I, I, I was not certain. Have you ever seen anything like this before? Is there anything that you can compare this to? No. Unprecedented? Well, that's what not being able to compare it to means. 
Um, <laughs> the, I mean, in fact, the reason I think for the economic unfairness is the way the economy works. Um, uh, globalization and technology, uh, both. But people then tend to blame it on immigrants, on people of a different race. They see, you know, uh, people getting favoritism, they think, against them. Now, I don't think that there's certainly no argument that uh, racial fairness policies have in any way disadvantaged economically white people, but there is a perception. Uh, the immigration issue was a little tougher, but it's also very, very unlikely that immigration was a serious part of that, if any. But th that adds to it. But generally, there's this economic unhappiness, and then people find other reasons to blame, and they and it's paradoxical. They blame the government. Now, these are people who say, oh, the government's no good. But in fact, they have a great faith in government, and they are angry at government and at the, at the Democrats because we're seen as the party of government, even when we're not in power until recently, uh, because the government didn't do anything to help them. I completely agree with you. And yet, you know, when you look at some of the numbers, especially, you know, 538 in the last couple of days, Trump supporters in, in many, many, many corners of this country were actually uh, better off economically than Clinton supporters. And so this perception that you speak of, especially one that's so closely tied with racism, you know, how do, how do you fix that? How, how do you go ahead? Because I mean, you're this... leaving out the racial component. If you hold constant for race, I don't believe that is true. So you're saying the, the, the Trump supporters... The white Clinton supporters are, are better off than the white Trump supporters. When you see that gross number, what you're seeing is the fact that African Americans and Hispanics earn less than white people. And they're overwhelming for Clinton. That skews the statistic you just cited. So this is to you all economic. Uh, fix no, that. I specifically said to the contrary. Please, please don't oversimplify. I said it begins with economic, but then it leads people to think, oh, I must be getting screwed because they're helping black people or because immigrants are coming. Take us on the path out of this uh, swamp. Suppose you got the DNC today and were entrusted with, you know, the five things you need to do immediately. Well, I wouldn't take the DNC as one of them. I mean, I have a lot of friends who have been at the DNC. Um, I think the Sanders people have greatly exaggerated its impact. The notion that the, uh, that the DNC uh, helped Hillary Clinton win. I mean, I, I, the DNC can do some useful things in terms of helping you get people organized. But uh, when it comes to influencing the choice of a presidential candidate, uh, the Democratic National Committee couldn't put out a fire in a bathtub, and it's not because they're bad people, it's because it doesn't have any power. <laughs> but what I would do if I were in Congress now, what I would do as an advocate is wait for Donald Trump to make his choices, and then point out what I believe is going to be a gap between the appeal he's made to these people who are feeling angry, and the policies, which don't help them. Uh, beyond that, if I were making policy myself, I would begin with, and I've argued this for a while, a very substantial reduction in the military budget of the United States. And I would cut back. This is one area where I think Trump is on to something in part by saying we need to do less and let the others do more, although he paradoxically then wants to spend more anyway, so you don't get the benefit of that. But I would cut military spending substantially and use that to make up for the economic effects, the anti-equalization effects of uh, globalization and trade. I would reduce Medicare to 55. I would cut, exempt the first 2% of income from the Social Security payroll tax um, for, the, uh, for the payees. I would do a massive infrastructure program. Uh, I would make college education much easier for lower-income people. So we're, we're all 
Jewish Americans here, you, me, Liel, Stephanie, you're a Jewish gay American. Uh, how scared should we be as Jews and gays and intellectuals and, and the kind of people oh, that... Oh, I don't see any persecution or oppression coming in general. Uh, I do think there is likely to be... I worry that in some cases where police departments have been racially insensitive, that they'll feel empowered to do to do some more of that. Uh, with regard to LGBT people, I'm afraid that the uh, progress we've been making for transgender people is going to get stopped in its tracks for now after we lost in North Carolina and with what's going to be going on in the Supreme Court. Uh, I think the, the one problem that uh, LGBT people are going to have is we're not going to lose the right to marry, but it is more likely than not that there'll be an increase in the right of people to invoke their own religious beliefs as a way to deny uh, recognition of uh, the rights of same-sex couples. As to Jews, I do think it is outrageous that they have been in there, and I was particularly not surprised, unfortunately, because I've kind of lost a lot of confidence in them, that APEC uh, is apparently willing to tolerate an anti-Semite high up in this administration. I think they have lost more and more credibility. They've just become an arm of Likud. Um, but uh, Netanyahu's political operation, I'm not sure which party it is these days. But um, no, I don't think you're going to see any, any oppressive anti-Semitism. So how much of this, how much of, how much of Hillary Clinton's loss is a charisma problem? How much of it is if you very put very little? Very little. If you put Joe Biden out there, who's 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 Johnny Charming, who, he would have done better, but not because of this. I think the email thing hurt her, and uh, there's an unfairness. Hillary Clinton has been unfairly tagged with uh, the accusation that she had a lot of ethical issues. In fact, they've all blown up. The Republicans uh, they talk about Whitewater and all those other issues. Kenneth Starr vindicated her from from those. I do think the email thing. Uh, uh, and it not only was hurtful in general, but it gave Comey a chance to do that. I think he probably would have won without Comey. Do you think we were not ready for a woman president? Um, well, she did get more votes than Trump. Let's not overdo this. Um, no, I don't think sexism, well, not direct sexism. It may have been that there was more uh, more uh, uh, willingness to no, even now, I take that back. Look at the debates. You talk about charisma, but she was a clear winner in the debates. Yeah, I, I guess I was. I just meant that it seems like uh, a no, lot. I, of... I think Biden would have done better because, and I didn't think that before. I I had underestimated the the cumulative effect of the negatives, and I think the media was culpable in sort of repeating this. Oh, she's got all these ethical issues when she didn't have any. Except the, the she had accusations, but none of them ever were proven. But they stuck with her. Are you tempted to jump back right now? No, I'm 76 years old. I'm not jumping anywhere. What do you What do you do? Donald, do you... Tr- Donald Trump's 74, right? Why Why can't you jump? I think in? he's 70. How, well, do, how do you personally handle this? What What you know? How do you, How do you take? Oh, I. Uh, you drinking more? Or are you? Uh... No, in the first place, I would never talk about personal stuff. I don't drink much anyway. I'm trying to lose some weight. Um, <clears throat> I think about in my public side how best to frame the uh, opposition to him. And how best to, for the Democrats to organize? So here's here's a question. You know, this is a candidate, really, with remarkable, uh, very few ideas and understanding of just about anything. If you're advising Chuck Schumer these days, would you kind of advocate the path that says, "Look, try to get the three or four or five agenda items that mean the most to you passed through, even if it means you no, know"? No, Chuck can't get anything passed. But Chuck's very able. The Democrats haven't got the ability to. To pass anything, but should should they kind of try to work with this administration well, or just give them out? They're against. Well, 
How obstructionist the should they place, be? In the first place, it depends on Trump. It depends on what he does. We can't initiate anything. Uh, if he's serious about an infrastructure program, yeah, we should work with him on it. That's very good and helpful. The problem is he's talking about, because he's got the Republicans in Congress, that they're going to do infrastructure, but they're not going to spend any money on it. <laughs> there was an old poem I used to remember. Uh, Mother, may I go out to swim? Yes, my darling daughter, hang your coat on the hickory limb, but don't go near the water. <laughs> um, I don't know how you do. You, you can do infrastructure with private money where it makes money, a toll bridge, but you can't in general. But as far as we're concerned, we have to. I, well, my advice to the Democrats in Congress is wait and see what he proposes. And if there is something you think makes sense, like infrastructure, it's hard to think there'll be anything else, you work with them on it and try to shape it. Beyond that, you pick the most unpopular things. You don't fight everything. You only have a limited amount of attention that you're going to get. Make the fight on those things he's trying to do that are the most egregious. Tax cuts loaded to the rich. Removing uh, important financial regulations. Dismantling the Consumer Bureau. And especially those where there is a great gap between his... Uh, his specifics and what he what he said he was going to do for working people. Representative Frank, it's been amazing talking to you. Any closing words of wisdom or inspiration for us? Uh, no, just that uh, the presidency always looks more powerful to its opponents than to those who hold it. I mean, I'm very sorry that Donald Trump won. I was discouraged, and uh, I expect there to be some negative things. Climate change is going to be set back, and uh, we're going to lose the ability to do some further things in the race area. But uh, uh, he has a, a very hard job that I don't think he's going to do very well. So uh, if you, I would say at this point, I am more optimistic about the next two national elections, the midterms and the presidential election, uh, frankly, than it would have been if Hillary had won. Well, and in other news, they took away the toll booths on our home state, Mass Pike, so we can uh, we can cruise back into Boston uh, unimpeded, right? So right, not financially, but physically. Not financially, but physically. All right, Representative, thank you so much for joining You're us. You're welcome. Thank All right, you. take care. Bye bye. One piece of mail this week. Uh, we've got our first ever audio letter. Um, we get hundreds of email letters, and somebody finally sent us a little bit of audio. And it's from Jeffrey Grossman, who called in to get my back on the matter of how to pronounce Mrs. Tom Brady's name. Now, you know I love you guys, but Stephanie, uh, when you corrected Mark about his pronunciation, actually... It's not Giselle, although I'm sure she would like us to think it's Giselle because that sounds very French and charmant and non-threatening. Her name actually is Gisela, and that is from the German where you pronounce every letter. So take that, Stephanie Butnick. All right. Uh, some Mazel Tov this week. Liel Leibowitz, do you have a Mazel Tov for us? To Senator Ben Sass, who this week took on uh, an extra gig as an Uber driver to meet constituents and to raise some money for charity. Sir, us American conservatives raise our lonely hearts and eyes to you. God bless you. Stephanie Butnick. My Mazel Tov is to last week's unorthodox guest, Eliana Johnson, um, the Washington editor at the National Review. She just got a new gig at Politico. She'll be um, covering the Republican Party there. So best of luck, Eliana Yael Johnson. Have fun. <laughs> 
And my mazel tov also to a former guest. We're just we're just loving our former guest this week, Thomas Chatterton Williams, whose Facebook feed has been a source of sanity for me. He is um, his his memoir, Losing My Cool, is one of the best books I've read in the past few years. He was an amazing guest on Unorthodox, and he's just a super super bright and thoughtful writer. So mazel tov to him for giving me just pretty much my only reason to look at social media this past week. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine, on the web at tabletmag.com. It's edited by Noah Levinson and produced by Alyssa Goldstein and Shira Telushkin. Rabbinic supervision by the new Muslim Jewish Advisory Council. Kosher slaughtering by White House Shochet, Jarrett Kushner. Jarrett, do you have our backs in there? Are you dovening Mariv after important meetings with Steve Bannon? Inquiring minds want to know. Our website is tabletmag.com. You can follow us on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, and rate us there. On Twitter, we're at tabletmag. Our music is by Golem, and we record at the safe space known as Argo Studios in New York City. Shalom, friends.